Hi, and welcome to the Mark for Glory podcast, uh, season two, episode 29 or 30. Yeah, um, I'm here with Chris, Crystal, and um, we're here today. We have pleasure speaking with Anthony Christina, who um, was born with spina bifida and hydrocephalus, and he's accomplished quite a lot since um, being uh, being disabled uh, since birth, and. Um, we're going to talk to him a bit about his journey and uh, what he's up to now and how he's gone there. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Mark. Hi, Crystal. How are you guys doing? Doing great here. Um, I guess the natural place to, to begin, Anthony, is uh, tell us a bit about uh, growing up in Hamilton. I assume that's where you grew up and tell us a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Grew up in Hamilton, born and raised, born with spina bifida and hydrocephalus, as you alluded to in the uh, wonderful intro, Mark. Uh, and I used to be able to walk with the use of a cane. My conditions subsequently digressed to the point where at age 12, I required a surgery at the time in 1992 that had a success rate of 40%. And throughout the process and throughout that journey with uh, family and friends by my side, it was never really uh, deemed a negative, even though I knew the, the numbers going into it. Uh, regardless of what was going to happen in, in spite of the surgery, I was never going to change. I was never going to waver into somebody else. Uh, you know, I continue to be grateful. I continue to be optimistic, optimistic and hopeful. Um, uh, regardless of now using a wheelchair uh, since the age of 12. So, Anthony, uh, what was that like growing up for you? And uh, what was the environment like in terms of how people treated your disability? And like I imagine in the early 90s, not many people, you know, were totally comfortable at that point. And the accessibility was probably an issue. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, disability healthy. is not really what it is now as it was back then a lot of things that quote unquote people could get away with they really simply can't get away with now um just for me i've always been uh grateful i've always had a good support system and i think a lot of it for me was always uh being forthright and positive and taking a, a proactive approach and essentially beating people to the punch so they could see who i was uh, not because of the disability, but in spite of it. And it's really a uh, skill set in the toolbox that I carry uh, with me to this day right now. So um, everything you went through your whole life, um, I'm sure made a huge impact on what you were going to get into when you became an adult. And now that you have the opportunity, what is the, I guess, and on your council, what is the biggest thing you want to achieve? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, thank you, Crystal. Um, for me, like I learned of the importance of belonging and gratitude uh, at the age of eight when I met a man by the name of John Spitazzo. And this was when I went to a camp that wasn't for people with disabilities, but simply included people with disabilities. And with a handshake and a welcome to camp, that really kind of 
set me on the path to uh, positivity and wanting to give back and gratitude and gratefulness for all the things that were going to happen into the future. Um, you know, I look at, you know, things like today as being a, a high school graduate, a college graduate, um, you know, employed at Mohawk College in Hamilton, uh, you know, the founder of my own brand above and beyond uh, bridging the gap to accessibility and inclusion it really kind of started for me um, essentially in 2004 when uh, the old camp, uh, Camp Marydale, located in Puslinch, Ontario, became no longer uh, usable. And at the time, that camp wasn't really as accessible as the one currently is now. So from 2004 to 2013, there was a lot of infrastructure taking place. There was a lot of uh, plans taking place to build Ontario's first fully accessible park and recreational facility called Marydale Park, which is located in Binbrook, Ontario. And, you know, happy to be part of that. Happy to have joined the Rick Hansen Foundation in 2006. Uh, you know, had been a Pan Am Games torchbearer in 2015. Uh, alumni of Distinction, member of the Order of Hamilton. It's, it's simply about passion. It's simply about doing what I do for the next generation and building a legacy for the next generation to not have to go through the battles or overcome the obstacles that people with disabilities currently face. That's awesome. We need more people like that. And it always, it always amazes me that people that, you know, when make things better for the next, you know, generation of just people. And uh, because it's really sad how it has been put in the place, but it's been kind of, or it has been passive aggressively out there. Like, we'll, we'll make this inclusive, we'll do this, but not really. I mean, we'll put a ramp on the front of the, our building and maybe let you go to the bathroom, but that's it. We don't have to do anything else. So that's not being inclusive. And I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. 100%, you are speaking my language. And that's the, uh, that's the be all end all of it. You know, accessibility is aimed by the lowest common denominators. And we have things like the AODA, for example. Pardon me. And the AODA to me is a minimum standard. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm not a minimum standard as a person with a disability. Disability is the only demographic with a fluctuation rate and disability can happen to anyone at any time, temporary, permanent, catastrophic, so why aren't we more proactive? Why aren't we more proactive, both tangibly and intangibly, to include people everywhere? Disability is, is an inevitability uh, for, for all persons at some point. Over the years, have you seen people's attitudes toward people with disability change? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a work in progress. And I think those are the biggest barriers that people with disabilities currently face, the attitudinal barriers and the lack of education. There's the perception of accessibility, as you just alluded to earlier, Crystal, versus the reality of accessibility. And oftentimes people with lived experience don't get put in the position to help be cultivators and pioneers and leaders of the change that is necessary to happen. We often look at it from the uh, non-disabled community 
trying to put in very, very minimal type of um, things to ensure that we get somewhat of an accessibility. But the attitudes, but the uh, education is still a large hurdle that needs to conquer. Right. And also, forgive me, um, you probably have the better words and terminology um, for what I'm about to say, but it, it starts from the top. And if people underneath are underneath them to the people are restricted on what they can offer and what they can do, then um, they, they, they can sometimes feel like their hands are tied. We can only offer you this and we can only offer you that. So it, it starts at the top. And, and that's exactly it. It does start at the top. And leadership is about bringing people together. Unionship, allyship, leadership. And a leader is only as good as the team that is alongside them. And that's really the mindset that I take to my everyday work. And, you know, as we say in the disabled community, nothing about us without us. You know, we often face barriers of people trying to eradicate barriers for people with disabilities. But when you don't include people with disabilities as part of the solution, you end up uh, doing more damage than you do good. Exactly. Yeah, and you you can get uh, sort of uh, things that are it's basically an afterthought. So somebody will uh, build the building and then say, "Oh, we've got to accommodate um, disabled people." Let's just slap a ramp on there after we're done. Right. I, the reality is, far too often we we say this is a cost rather than it's an investment. When you look at it as an investment, the return will come back to, to the community in spades because you'll allow more people with disabilities to be consumers. They'll have more shopping power, buying power. They'll have more abilities to be employed, uh, abilities to use transit more effectively with dignity and with respect and with integrity. Uh, when your community is built accessibly and inclusively, and that means not only making an accessible space, but making getting to the accessible space accessible. You know, far off too, far too often that gets missed. Let's make an accessible playground, but let's not make the way to get that to that accessible playground um, accessible. So a lot of those things tend to be overlooked and overshadowed, and and when we had, when you do that you end up having to cost more to fix the problem than you do to install the initial um, infrastructure uh, by itself. You know, it's according to the Rick Hansen Foundation to create a new build, it costs 1% more to the actual amount to build the building uh, from scratch than it would be to uh, retrofit accessibility into an existing build. So we say being inclusive from the start, and it's now time to actually action that, demonstrate that, and practice that. Implement that stuff. I'll just talk about it. 
Let's do it. Exactly. Let's just do it. And uh, how much of that is actually right? Like maybe, maybe people on top, like Crystal was mentioning, are afraid of including everyone because then it sort of lets people know who they really are if they you know what were their characters and if they allow people access like disabled people access to do have actual more equality more power than they actually do and people might become might discover who who those people on top actually are and it's in their best interest to just keep everyone down. Yeah, and that's the stereotype and the stigma that people with disabilities face day in and day out, whether it's conscious bias or unconscious bias. You know, we, we are faced with that uh, on, a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. When, mm -hmm. when a building is not accessible, for example, now I'll use this one, um, and I use this as an example, quite often when a building is not accessible, when you can enter a building only, you know, the, the underlining message is you don't belong here. And that's, that's unfortunate. And, and that's the message that we need to change. We all belong. And this is how we belong. We deserve integrity. We deserve respect. We deserve to have our autonomy, our agency, and our own ability to self-govern. And that only happens when we look at it from an investment rather than a cost. Because as I said earlier, it will return itself in spades when the investment uh, can come full circle to include everyone. I find it interesting that, you know, people often push disabled people aside and try to hide them or like I said earlier, passive aggressively, um, we want to help you. We want to put you in the, the forefront and let your your opinion matters, but not really. We we feel uncomfortable by it, and the whole reason why we are pushed back and you know not able to do things is because it makes people uncomfortable, and they want to feel like you know good about themselves because there's not weirdness around them and people who move differently and talk differently and look differently. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the unfortunate reality is that we need to shift from uh, a mindset of, you know, tokenism to leveling the playing field. You know, and we do that when we build inclusively, both tangibly and intangibly. And we understand it's not, it's not about giving certain people an advantage. Uh, I look at it from a ramp perspective. A, uh, a family with a young child uh, who uses a stroller could easily benefit from a ramp as well. Not only that, is having the same entryway for everybody. So rather than having the stairs at the front and having the ramp at the side, so you have to go further away to enter the same building, have it all ramped so that we can all enter the same building together. You know, uh, stairs are essentially a kryptonite to many people with visible physical disabilities. 
I, I mean, when you when you build a ramp, you allow more people in your facility and to get into the facility the same way anybody else would. And that's a huge, huge message that needs to be understood that a ramp really helps uh, ensure that people belong because you're allowing people to get somewhere equally and with equity. That's, that's a good point, Anthony. Um, how do you differentiate between leveling the playing field, as you mentioned, and um, giving everyone equal opportunity to succeed um, in some in some lights, or maybe how do you differentiate that between you or <laughs> I'm trying to get the words out here. How do you um, how do you reinforce that you're not trying to make anyone better than anyone else? You're not trying to give disabled people an extra advantage, just simply giving them the same same opportunities as everyone else. Cool. Yeah, it's equity. You know, you know, a lot of uh, emphasis lately is on the EDI umbrella, which stands for equity, diversity, and inclusion. But oftentimes access is typically hidden under the equity pillar. So under my vision, under above and beyond's vision, is we extrapolate access from the equity pillar, transpose the letters, and you have idea, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. And from that standpoint and that idea, when we build uh, inclusion and access from the utilizations of those pillars uh, wholeheartedly and in earnest, you know, everybody belongs. We can be barrier-free. And barrier-free means authentically and genuinely being able to access point A to point B uh, as independently uh, as possible with dignity, with respect, integrity. It's about having uh, an audible signal and a visual cue at the latest, at all the curbs, uh, stoplights, for example, you know, having uh, a properly cut curb cut and making sure that it's maintained, not put on the back burner, making sure that it's maintained when, the, when it goes down or when there's a problem, not having to wait uh, a week because an elevator has broken down and they're missing a part, you know? That takes away from our autonomy and our agency. You know, we, we deserve on-demand services when um, things uh, tend to shut down, things tend to be uh, a hindrance. You know, we need that kind of prior, prioritized and proactive action to ensure that we can still live our lives the way we choose to live it not the way that it's dictated by somebody else. It's about a hand up, not a hand out. You would think that this conversation would not need to be happening because proactively, the disability community is growing hugely. Like, <laughs> I mean, if you looked at this, I'm sure you have looked at the statistics, but I'm sure if other people did, they'd be surprised. But it's growing all the time. So you think this would be something they would 
already have their hands fully in and already have established. That is the ultimate challenge of, you know, being a representative of the disability community. It's not about us as people with disabilities. It's about the community at large. There's um, indirect relationships uh, that people have that don't have disabilities with people with disabilities and then direct relationship. We need to reach those indirect people who don't have any association with disability. It's about uh, 70, uh, 74, 75% uh, now in Canada that identify as not being a member of the disabled community. When we, when we target that uh, number as much as we can, when we think excessively and inclusively, the, uh, the entire community will prosper. It's, it's sad that we're needing it to talk about it, but it's also good to get it out there and maybe people will, will realize what the future holds good hold for them. And we, they, you know, if something, God forbid, did happen to them, wouldn't you want to have an insurance policy in place? So wouldn't you want to be able to get around and be included in things or just be hid away? Uh, yeah, exactly. You said it. Um, you know, having the ability to pivot and adapt uh, on demand is important. You know, you know, not having a, in my case, a, a wheelchair breakdown and then having to call uh, ADP or, or ODSP, waiting for certain paperwork to go through before service can be had and leaves you stranded. If anything, the, the height of this pandemic has taught a lot uh, of people something, you know, within the disability, disability community. Uh, you look at it from the, uh, you know, the isolation perspective. You look at it from the perspective of, you know, not being able to see people. Many people with disabilities are unfortunately isolated. You know, uh, you know, we have uh, different autoimmune problems, you know, uh, risks, health risks that, you know, uh, the pandemic heightened. You know, let's talk about ODSP, for example. It just got raised 5% to 1227 for a single person. Uh, many people with disabilities can't work. So who can live on 1227 a month? Uh, not very many people. As cost of living goes up, as uh, inflation goes up, it's inflation right now is about at eight percent. ODSP goes up five percent. You're still three percent uh, short of inflation. So that's that's problem in and of itself. Um, you know, at the height of the pandemic, there was CERB. You know, the federal government stated for those who could not work via CERB uh, via the pandemic, uh, were entitled to two thousand dollars a month to live on. But what does that say about the disabled community? You know, what does that say about us as members of the right. community who work? Well, it doesn't say much about us. Like we got that 5% increase, whoop de do it doesn't do much. Uh, so, it, I mean, it could be the difference from, you know, going to a food bank versus, you know, a grocery store, you know, you know nourishment, proper nourishment, proper um, health, you know, the health will dwindle. Uh, even more for many people with disabilities who, if we can't get to the care that we need, if we don't have proper, affordable, and accessible housing, 
that is uh, not at 40 to 50% below the poverty line. You know, poverty is 24,058. Many people on ODSP who can't work make about 14,028 a month. What's that say about the community at large? That's sad. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you brought up the pandemic and then most people wouldn't be glad to talk about that. But um, you know, definitely uh, Crystal and I talked about this before about people haven't been forced into a situation which we've been dealing with for a while, right? And coming, being forced to come to come to terms with the isolation, as you mentioned, and the other aspects of living at home, like twenty four seven. But now that things have sort of shifted, where people are kind of getting back to some sense of normalcy, have you seen? anybody's attitudes change in terms of um, taking less for granted the freedoms that they have? You know, I always say, Mark, uh, don't tell progression, don't tell perfection, celebrate progression. And, you know, progression has been, has been there, but quite honestly, it goes at a snail's pace. And we need to build momentum together and we need to to build the inclusivity and the accessibility uh, within the community at large. And it's, it includes reaching out to those who don't identify as members of the disability community to help be more accessible for the greater good of the community that they live in. You know, again, it's that approach of looking at it as an investment versus a cost. You know, there's this whole idea uh, of, as we talked about, well, you can get in, in and out of a building, maybe use the washroom, but that doesn't mean you're accessible. You know, you need to have more accessible amenities in place. And, and that's another problem uh, for many people with disabilities who live uh, in very low means. Like you want you want an accessible vehicle? Sure, but it's gonna cost you $50,000. Like, you know, that, that supply and demand ratio number really doesn't uh make sense you know or, or you know you want to be able to do something uh but again that cost is significantly higher uh, you know the cost of an accessible vehicle uh is basically the cost of a vehicle in and of itself so like you're you're essentially pricing people out of being viable members of the community, especially if you don't have proper uh, transit services that take into consideration people, people's dignity and respect. You know, I know that in Hamilton, there is a, uh, a 30 minute window, uh, uh, 15 minute each way uh, when you're booking paratransit like I use. Um, well, what if you're late? Well, there's no apology and there's no stress or urgency to make it better because it's a monopoly. And that's problematic in and of itself. And that's really how people with disabilities are addressed in that, in that semblance because there's quote unquote, no reason to make it better. And we need to change that mindset and give people a reason to include us. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, let's talk a bit more about that. How do you how do you get people that seventy five percent of people who aren't related to the disability community? How do you get them to empathize? I know how this is another great example, but I know when I broke my ankle and um, I was forced to use a wheelchair, right? Um, I remember going into the hospital, first of all, trying to figure out how to work thing. I got that working, then going to a hospital, hitting the, uh, going to the bathroom, hitting the button on the door for handicapped access so it would open the door, and then immediately be being confronted by a retaining wall, which wouldn't let me <laughs> go around it. So that, that forced me to think what's really happening here. They're putting a button on the door so that it gives the impression of being accessible, but it's not actually accessible. That is what we call, Mark, a hashtag AODA fail. You know, it's it, I, I experience that quite often. When you have the accessible button at one particular uh, part of, a, of an entranceway or a door, but then you're having a race to beat that door mechanism because the door is open, and then you want to, you know, get through the door before it closes. Like you're racing through it. Or if you have it behind a potted plant. I've seen that, for example, too. You know, I've had it. I've seen it where uh, the accessible push door operator opens on the same side the door opens. So you're, you're pressing the button and you're getting the heck out of there because the door is going to open in your face. Like, I mean, it's these kind of common sense um, scenarios that people with lived experience would be fully invested in in helping people understand and, and change the, the attitudinal barriers and change the attitudes and improve the mindset that when you include all, when everybody is included, there is collective prosperity. But yeah, there's this kind of one thing I've learned though, that some of the things that are not accessible and some of the um, just the silly things that people don't do and they do do. Um, and it, it's a common sense thing for us because we live with the day to day, you know. But if they can't figure it out, well, we might need, you know, uh, whatever the situation is, if you have a long term or short term disability, then it's kind of like, do I really want to deal with this company? Do I really want to deal with this people or this person? <laughs> well, the the short term answer uh, is here, let me help you. When something is not fully accessible and fully inclusive, people will just resort to helping you rather than learning from you. You know, right. we tend to be uh, token advisors, you know, we, you know, and it's about changing that advisory mentality into an actions-based approach, to a solutions-based approach to cultivate fundamental systemic and culture change. 
being part of the solution. And it's about getting over that hump of investment over cost, because that's kind of like people's uh, bottom line and their underlining uh, message there. But that's like a double-edged sword though, because if, if you, I mean, it's good to let people have you sometimes, of course, but if it's so consistent and people continue to all the time feel like that you need help and you need this and you need that, it becomes a situation where we're not independent anymore. We're codependent. And that doesn't help that doesn't help society as a whole. Right. And it sets the precedence of people with disabilities as being burdensome. If you build your structures accessibly, uh, we can have our independence. You know, it's what well, you can't. And I don't know if I can say it, you bleep me out if you want to, but you don't want to half ass anything. You know, like mm -hmm. I mean, you, you want to do it inclusively from the start. I and mean, that was the National Accessibility Awareness Week's uh, theme for uh, Canada this year, uh, being inclusive from the start. But that begged the question is, in 2022, why are we thinking inclusively from the start when we should have been thinking inclusively from the start 50 plus right. years ago? Right. You know, and, and it, it, it just, it's mind boggling that we're still kind of uh, going in this very, very vicious circle uh, that really has no end to it. You know, the more advocacy that we do, the more stress we cause ourselves without a solution is, with all due respect, I believe the uh, the society's wish upon people with disabilities because they don't want to level the playing field. They, you know, they always want to keep people with disabilities on a lower tier than those without disabilities. And you know, if there, there's a, a fear, as you alluded to earlier, Crystal, that if you level the playing field, you know, people with disabilities might take something from those without disability. And it's about sharing the the space, sharing the the wealth, sharing the opportunities with one another. And 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 that's how I look at it. You uh, we talked we talked quite a bit about that. Um, so, uh, we kind of got away from um, the nuts here. Um, you know, we talked before about the whole having so much red tape when it comes to, uh, you know, anything we need, forms we need to fill out, renting or buying a home or anything. So what do you have to say about that and what you do? Yeah, it's that's the that's the big message. It's not about getting the message out. It's about changing the culture behind it. And you know, even like with this Ford announcement of the five percent increase of ODSP recently, um, that doesn't say much about the thought behind people with disabilities. You know, it, it's about leveling the playing field, as we alluded to. I, I think the message needs to be heard from the rooftops that. Uh, that inclusion is a, is a benefit for everybody. Understanding that when people are included, uh, 
the, the world will prosper. We are the largest minority group, the only minority group that has that fluctuation rate. And, and unfortunately, it shouldn't take a, a situational disability, a temporary disability for someone to realize, oh yeah, maybe if I thought of it from this lens, now because I'm experiencing it personally, uh, then I'll make the change. It shouldn't be like that, but unfortunately it is like that. And that's what we need to change. So um, we also have discussed um, your program, you have mice. Can you talk more on that please? Oh, mice, yeah. So um, with my uh, presentations to schools or you know businesses or events, I, I created what I call the mice principles which is motivation, innovation, inspiration, celebration, education, and empowerment. Quite honestly, this is what we really need to evoke in our everyday life. You know, I, I know that there's a lot of, uh, you know, questions about that term inspiration, you know, that, you know, that quote unquote inspiration point, but inspiration behind this is really about creating that inclusive mentality mindset. And not only from a, a standpoint of a, a tangible or an intangible, but a long lasting mindset of inclusiveness of accessibility. So that when something is a barrier, we are right on it to, to change that culture of accessibility and inclusion. We are right on it to ensure that we, we can ensure that people matter. And um, who, which uh, which group would you say has been the most open to this? Like if you were to separate government, businesses or corporations and the general public, where have you seen the most, uh, most uh, change or adoption of the principles you're talking about? None, none, unfortunately, Mark. I, you look at it from the, uh, idea of you know wanting to have that conversation and you'll get the obligatory disclaimer we are an accessible and inclusive environment you know we hire you know people with disabilities and we need to get past that being a disclaimer we need to get past the um the equity diversity and inclusion mindset to an implementation uh it, it, uh, it you know and you see it but you don't authentically and genuinely see it. And that's the problem. So basically people are um, basically sending a message or talking about doing stuff, but they're not actually doing stuff. Right. Far too often, uh, more than I'd like to uh, acknowledge, but unfortunately that's very a... true. We also discussed uh, collective prosperity. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I mean, collective prosperity means, uh, to me, means, you know, doing things that we all choose to do. A lot of people without disabilities essentially do things by way of second nature, you know, without having a second thought. Whereas a person with a disability uh, has to be more uh, of an outside of the box thinker. Um, so, it, if when, when, when there's inclusion in place, when there's uh, parameters in place, um, that it, it simply means that 
people can live the way we want to live you know and that's the prosperity behind it like again it's it it speaks to the message of those who do things for the simple fact of driving a car i i use paratransit uh you know i have to face the struggles of paratransit being a one-size-fits-all type of mindset that i'm trying to change because within the disability community we all have different abilities and when you use this mindset of one size fits all, you're really uh, dehumanizing people, demoralizing people, and not giving people uh, respect uh, and dignity that we deserve. You've done an awesome job explaining a lot of what you do, and uh, we really appreciate that. Um, you, we also talked about you. You've written a book, right? Yeah. Above and beyond. I have written a book, and hey, oh look, I just so happen to have a copy right here. Awesome. It, it, it writes it writes itself. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so um, yeah, in 2015 is when Above and Beyond really took shape. You know, working at Mohawk College in Hamilton, there's a TV broadcasting uh, team, and in Hamilton we have a local community station that there's a lot of collaborations with. Uh, knowing my character from being a Mohawk since 1999 as a student and transitioning into an employee, you know, you, you network, you build a lot of relationships with people. And they thought I would be a good fit for, you know, having a conversation about accessibility and inclusion. So that's where uh, Above and Beyond got its name. You know, I started as a, a producer, uh, co-hosted a second season of the show, Above and Beyond. Uh, and while the first season was going on, I had started writing a memoir with no intention of publishing, none whatsoever. So, I'm sorry. So it's a show and a book? No, it, it started off of the show. Gotcha, so Above gotcha. and Beyond started off of the show. Uh, mm -hmm. The book that I was writing, I had no intention of publishing, had no name. It was just me telling stories about certain points in my life that I wanted to just kind of remember for me. But you know, as the first season took shape and as the community in Hamilton started recognizing me, uh, started you know, recognizing the show and what my show was about, you know, I, I took it to heart to really finalize getting that book done and published. Uh, you know, I ended up just finishing uh, a third season about a year or so ago. Uh, and we did it virtually because that's when uh, the pandemic was on. So even doing things like this, this wouldn't have been a thing really if the pandemic wasn't in existence. So, right. you know, so having to, to do that, having conversations with uh, various uh, uh, people in the community, various dignitaries. I've spoken to people like David Leposky. I've spoken to David Onley. I've spoken to people all across the world that have different types of disability perspective. Because again, it's not one size fits all. And that's the message that I allude to in my memoir and in my book as well. And that's what, you know, helped pave the way for me to be an actor uh, as well, you know, giving authentic and genuine representation in the media uh, as an acting role. Like I, I was in a, a recent Lotto Max commercial, you know, as a person with a visible physical disability. You know, you see roles of people with disabilities played without, played from people without disabilities. And that's very disingenuous. And that really needs to change. 
So, and in saying that, you know, as things, as things kind of grew and grew and grew, I've spoken on various stages worldwide. You know, I've spoken on a virtual stage to people all across the world, uh, uh, to Bimbo Canada, to Hydrocephalus Canada, to other organizations that really take the idea, again, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access to heart and wanting to be leaders and not just talking about being leaders, but actually taking steps forward to being the leaders that we need to have. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, noticed any, any um, since you've been talking to disabled people around the world, have you noticed any places or regions or countries that are sort of a, a bit more on the ball? And um, how can we in North America learn from them? Quite honestly, Mark, I am not a traveler, so I really can't speak to other destinations. But I've heard that from colleagues and friends, pardon me, like, you know, uh, places like France are ahead of the game, places like uh, Greece are ahead of the game, places like, um, I believe, uh, Portugal is a little bit ahead of the game as well. Um, looking at it from the, the design perspective to include people with disabilities is the biggest and underlining message here because when you build it inclusively, you don't have to spend the extra money to retrofit accessibility into something that already exists. You have it done accessibly and inclusively from the start, then the money uh, spent off front, which is that 1% more, according to the Rick Hansen Foundation, will return itself in spades because you'll be able to service more people uh, globally. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think we did awesome job. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Absolutely. Really... And, I, and I want. Sorry, go ahead. Dan. I'm sorry, guys. I just wanted to finalize this conversation by stating one more thing. You know, I talked about the importance of leadership, and a leader is only as good as those who are a part of their team. So I'm also Absolutely. running for city council here in Hamilton uh, in Ward 8. So you know, it's it's one thing to talk about uh, solutions. It's another thing to be part of the solutions. So I just did want to mention the fact that in my uh, candidacy that I've been doing a lot of social media work and in running for Ward 8 uh, here in Hamilton, it's no disrespect to the current uh, incumbent counselor that's there. I simply wanted to bring the lens of inclusion, the lens of accessibility to the various um, components that what the city is looking for. And if you build it with accessibility and inclusion, as we talked about, then we all prosper. So I just wanted to add that in, guys. Thank you. Yeah. And are there, uh, before we go here, are there any other, aside, we know, we know you're up for election and uh, you've got the book, are there any other projects you're working on? Ah, okay. Well, I'm also the director of media relations for the Ontario Disability Coalition. So I work uh, with the Ontario Disability Coalition, getting the message out uh, about people with disabilities in the healthcare field. Uh, we don't necessarily deal with uh, individuals. We deal with more of the major issues like ODSP, like you know home care, 
you know, education in schools, education in community, uh, that whole aspect of uh, legislated poverty for people with disabilities and changing that mindset, changing that perspective. Uh, you know, I've worked with the Rick Hansen Foundation since 2006, uh, the uh, Catholic Youth Organization since 1988, uh, the United Way, um, the Ron Joyce Children's Health Center. I want to mention, make sure that I mentioned them as well. So the Ron Joyce Children's Health Center is a, a local facility that supports kids with disabilities. So, you know, as a you know, person who's grown up with a disability, I always, you know, reflect on my youth uh, as a kid with a disability, what it would have been like. So um, we also have a cheer squad there. So I'm a part of a cheer squad, squad, excuse me, uh, for kids with disabilities. So we cheer at various events, fundraisers, Tiger Cats games, uh, Honey Badgers games, other community events. Uh, and I'm here, this 42 year old guy cheering with kids that range from three to maybe 20 years old. And I'm doing that because I always talk about, you know, being a part of the solution and I can talk about, you know, doing this with them or I can do this with them and be part of the solution. That's my, that's my, uh, my promise and my vow to cultivate that action that is much needed for community. Well, uh, thanks a lot, Anthony, for taking the time to speak with us today. You know you're a busy, busy guy. I know. I'm so surprised that we were able to talk to you. Oh, guys, it's been my pleasure. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. Likewise. And uh, have a great day. Take care, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye.